Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Welcome to a new episode of the Geek Town Behind the Scenes podcast. I'm your host, Dave Elliott, and we've been off for a couple of weeks, so to make up for that, we have two interviews on the show. The first is with the cinematographer Brad Smith, and the second features production designer Daniel Novelty, both who have been involved in creating the hit Netflix series Outer Banks. Cinematographer Brad Smith was responsible for the beautiful photography of the series. In the interview, we talk about how they use documentary film techniques to provide a sense of reality and to show the social economic divide on the two sides of the island. We also discuss the look of the show and the incredible drone camera work that helped immerse viewers into the island's location. Along with working on the Outer Banks, Brad has served as director of photography on series such as Manifest, The Americans, Quantico and Billions. So uh, I hope you really enjoy this. He was a lovely guy to talk to. Here's the interview with Brad Smith and stay tuned for the next interview afterwards. How are you doing? All right. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. It's nice to talk to you in person here. How's everything over in England today? It's not too bad. The weather's been pretty terrible today, but then seeing as we're all told to be staying indoors, it's not really a problem. So, Right. And uh, well, fortunately, I hope some people watch the Outer Banks while they were quarantined in their homes. Yes. Well, it does seem to have been incredibly popular. I mean, we don't get exact numbers from Netflix, but it does seem to have gone down fairly well as far as we could tell. Oh, absolutely. You know, the show was created for more of the young adult crowd. And um, fortunately, a large demographic, a large audience really enjoyed the show. Mm. Uh, people in their 60s, their 70s, I, I heard from them how much they enjoyed the show. So I guess the timing was right for an adventurous story about treasure hunting and escaping murder and being a teenager and living on a, a beautiful, warm, sunsetty island. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. I mean, it was an interesting one because I first heard about it when I interviewed Phil Eisler, who of course did all the music for it. Oh, yes. And uh, I know Phil because we've interviewed him many, many times and we were doing a sort of general catch-up when I, w- I was over in LA in February. We had a sort of catch-up on it and he mentioned the show and I was like, that sounds a bit like The Goonies <laughs> when he well, kind yeah. of describing it. And, and it kind of is, but with teenagers rather than with younger kids. I, I think it's got that uh, just a lovely kind of adventure feel to it. And uh, it's it's really, really fun show. Yeah, it is a fun show. And, you know, I think, you know, you mentioned the Goonies and there's probably, you know, some other influences uh, that people can find in there. But I think by and large, um, it's almost an, an 80s kind yeah. of feel to the show uh, in the way the kids act, the way they looked, uh, the way they partied. You know, it mm. was a uh, kind of had a 1980s feel to it. And, you know, the creators, Jonas Pate, Josh Pate and Shannon Burke and myself, you know, we all grew up in the 80s. So it was, uh, you know, I think that's where that influence came from and being influenced by all those great movies in the late 70s and 1980s that we all grew up on. Yeah, I can definitely see that. So how did you get involved with it? Well, I had worked with one of the creators, Jonas Pate, previous on a uh, another television show. And he was a director. 
and he came in and I was a camera operator at the time. And I happened to be from the state of North Carolina and he happened to be from North Carolina. So we had something in common that we were uh, able uh, to bond about. And uh, my wife's family actually was friends with his family growing up in that little small North Carolina town. So, you know, we kind of had that element to start us off in our conversation and and relationship or, or what have you. And then uh, we always kept in touch. And I slowly, you know, worked my way from being a camera operator up to a director of photography. And um, we always kept in touch. And he was following my career and I was following the projects that he was on. And then I decided to move back to North Carolina from the New York area. And he decided to move back to North Carolina from the Los Angeles area. And him and his brother and Shannon had this great show that they created. And I guess it was about two years ago, Jonas had mentioned to me that him and his brother and Shannon had created this show. It was, and it was going to be so much fun to shoot and a project like we had never worked on before. So I started getting excited about it then and always with little bits of conversation, getting more and more out of Jonas of what the show was about and, and what the characters were like until one day they presented me with the script for the pilot. Where's it actually shot? Because it's not, I mean, you, you're from North Carolina, so you have sort of some experience of the, the area that it's it's set in. Right, and the, you know, this will be a, a very good topic uh, also to talk to uh, the art director, Dan, about, because it's uh, he had to create this world, this fictitious island. But the show takes place on a fictitious island in the outer banks of North Carolina. And if you look at a map of the United States, you'll see, this small little chain of islands that run off of North Carolina out into the ocean. And it's mm. the small little band and it creates small little communities. So I think that was appealing to the creators to set the show there. But they created a fictitious island in that geographical area in the state of North Carolina. But we actually had to shoot the show in Charleston, South Carolina, which is the state, you know, just south of us here in North Carolina. So forgive my ignorance of North yeah. and South Carolina, but are they major differences between the two? Is no, sort of uh, topographically, are they similar or is it completely different? Topographically, they're, they're pretty similar, especially on the coastal areas. You know, you start getting into some vegetation as you go south mm. that they don't have up north, but it's uh, fairly similar. We had to go to South Carolina for political reasons in the state of North Carolina. There were some politics that Netflix doesn't agree with uh, taking place in North Carolina. So they decided to go to South Carolina to shoot the television show. Right, I see. And was this your first opportunity to actually not be a cinematographer, but be a cinematographer right from the very beginning of a show? Yes, yeah. Well, it's, uh, you know, it, I was handed the pilot in, in the job of creation mm. or participating with everyone else in the creation. And I think that's really important to say it was such a group effort. I mean, as far as projects go that I've been able to do this, I shot a pilot episode for the ABC network in the United States last year and uh, that did not get picked up. So I was hired to do the Outer Banks. And since this was going to be such a different project and something that the creators wanted a very specific look for, it was uh, great to get this opportunity to create from the very beginning. When the script was handed to me, you know, the first thing I got was a, you know, white sheets of paper with black letter face type. Um, and, and that's all that was created of the Outer Banks, along with the descriptions from Josh, Jonas and Shannon of what they felt their world should be like. So then this really came down to the art director, Dan, which you'll be talking to eventually. And, um, you know, Dan was handed the task with the creators of creating this environment. Like, what did the houses look like? What did the neighborhoods look like? There's a big social gap between what they call the rich people on the show. They call them the kooks and the people that don't have as much money on the other side of the island, they call the pokes. So uh, Dan, as an art director, really had to define a difference of what this architecture looked like relative to one another, how messy the yards were. Uh, If if you recall in the show, there was a hurricane Mm -hmm. in the first episode. So the wealthier people were going to be able to clean up their hurricane debris faster than the people on the poor side of the island. So that was always a conversation 
conversation of how much hurricane debris do the rich people have compared to the poor people and things <laughs> like that. So, you know, there were a lot of little intricate things there. From a cinematography standpoint and, you know, being able to be the director of photography, you know, it started with very definitive descriptions from the show creators, Josh, Jonas and Shannon. They wanted a very warm look and they wanted to feel like the show was always shot at sunset. So one of the main descriptions they gave me is they said, regardless of what's going on with the story, regardless of what's going on with the actors, we would like people to be able to pause the video at any frame and it'd be beautiful and it'd be gorgeous and it'd be a place that someone would want to go visit or someone would want to go live. So that was my challenge with the cinematography and actually developing a look that the showrunners liked and that actually expressed their original creative thoughts. So it's quite a bit to get all those heads together and to understand what someone wants. But in the end, I felt like we achieved what we set out to do. I felt like it was a very distinct look with the cinematography. It was very warm. We were able to schedule our biggest scenes of the day for the, the low sunsetting light times of day. And uh, we would go inside during the middle of the day when the sun was direct overhead and not flattering. So, um, you know, we, we took a large effort to make the show have that warm, low light sunset look. And like I said, I feel like we achieved that. Yeah, it is very unique looking and it does look stunning. I mean, despite even over on the Pogue side where, you know, things are a bit more run down and stuff, it's still a beautiful looking place. Well, thank you. Yeah, the, the large uh, oak trees and what they call the Spanish moss is what they call that, that hangs in the oak trees. There's just beautiful trees on the South Carolina coast. Uh, for example, in John B's, John B was one of the main characters on the show and he mm. had this little house and, and out in front of the house were a couple just beautiful beautiful trees that we were just a pleasure to photograph yeah it's absolutely stunning looking i mean in, in terms of the camera work on it what sort of different setups are you got are you using handheld stuff yes well uh it was very important to the creators that they wanted it to feel like a documentary. You know, if you have right. a story about kids looking for buried treasure and mm. bad bad guys are trying to murder them, you know, the question was, how do we make this real? How, how do we try to convince the audience that these kids are really going through this? So uh, Jonas sent me a reference, and it's a documentary made in the United States called Minding the Gap. Not Mind the Gap, yeah. uh, Minding the Gap, and it's a skateboard documentary. Right, yes. And uh, it's very brilliant. The kid... Uh, that shot it with the other kids involved, the other skaters. Uh, he put together a, a very emotional piece. These uh, kids went through some abuse. Uh, they went through hard lives. They lived in a tough area. So Jonas wanted Outer Banks to be able to feel that real, uh, to be able to feel that authentic. And when the characters were having emotional times, that we would capture those emotional times the same way they felt in Minding the Gap. So that lends itself to being a handheld show. So we didn't shoot any Steadicam. We didn't use any dollies or anything conventional. I would say that the majority of all the show was shot handheld and also shot uh, from a drone. And I, I think you can recognize some of those drone shots that were just beautiful. Yeah. The advent and sort of availability of drones must have really changed how you can do things and how easily you can do things in your industry. Well, it also uh, depends on the drone pilot itself. Yes, <laughs> true. Know, it's Interesting enough, I mean, this is almost a, a, you know, a good interview within itself, but the drone operator, his name is Andrew, and he was a very young gentleman and came from the video game world. Um, <laughs> he was a, I don't know if you call, can call him a professional gamer, but he was one of the top video gamers in the world. So flying a drone is evidently very similar to playing video games. So we went, yeah. um, we looked at a lot of different drone companies and somebody suggested this kid that worked down at the docks <laughs> and we, and we said, well, uh, you know, let's, let's give him a shot. And he came in and, and absolutely blew us away, flew the drone in between trees and over the tops of cars and 
couldn't believe what he did with the drone. And we just knew right then that all the creative opportunities, it, it typically in a, in a film or a television show, you'll see a drone shot that's just high and wide and kind of slowly moves over the environment, which those are very beautiful. But Andrew, which he's a drone operator, so his name became Androne. Um, <laughs> he was able to operate the drone as if it were almost a camera crane. If you go back and you look at the show and you just pay attention to the drone, shots and how incredibly operated they are. It's uh, such a talent. And uh, he made it look so simple. It's a, you know, we'd go call Androne and we'd tell him we had a, a drone shot and he would pull the drone out of the box, fly it, do it and move on to the next scene like it was no big deal. And, uh, you know, when you go back and look at the show, some of those shots are just absolutely gorgeous. And some of the drone shots I haven't really seen in other shows just because I don't know that there's a lot of operators out there like the one we had yeah yeah it is some amazing work on that it's, it's really interesting that he comes from a gaming background but i guess it makes sense right and you know it was also uh so you have the handheld aspect it's really telling the story from a documentary standpoint and trying to create a sense of reality by being handheld and then the drone really tied in the environment mm. and you know I, I i without the drone i don't know that you would know what this island really felt like i think that's one of the you know one of the reasons people love the environment of the show is because the drone was able to show it to them. And then we were able to get down into the intimacy of the characters. And everyone, I think, has a very good idea of what the cut, the, the poke side of the island looks like, what the kook, the rich side of the island looks like. I think the drone was able to establish those environments and let the audience know, you know, where John B. lives and where these characters and where they're from and where Sarah lives. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It definitely helps a lot. One of the other things, of course, with the, the show is they're out on the water quite a bit, either in the sort of marshlands or, or in the shallows and stuff. Is it difficult setting up shots and dealing with that sort of environment? Right. Well, you know, first of all, the water is salt water, right. uh, you know, and very heavy. Great, right. great for camera equipment, I'm sure. Well, I mean, just electronics, period. Yeah. You know, uh, not only cameras, but sure. the, the video monitors and all the uh, equipment that the assistant cameraman had. It was brutal on equipment. Mm. So we knew that going in. So we tried to design a way to be able to move around efficiently and uh, to be able to clean up the equipment every night and, and be careful and try to keep the salt away from it as much as possible. But, you know, that's a real testament to the crew. The camera operators, Bo Webb and Matt Lyons, were the two handheld camera operators. They were brilliant. Bo is a, an incredible storyteller. He was on A camera. And on B camera, I brought in a documentary filmmaker who shoots a lot of sports and athletics and other little projects. And I wanted a documentary filmmaker on the second camera because, like I said, you know, this was supposed to feel like a documentary. So yeah. I felt instead of bringing in a traditional television film camera operator, I really wanted a documentary guy on the longer of the lenses, the tighter of the lenses. And I thought Matt did an incredible job, uh, both camera operators. And and then that extends to the really your question, um, like a gentleman named Larry Gianeski, who works in the camera department. It was up to him to make sure these cameras were clean, operable and ready to go. And he would assess the gear every single night. And if he felt like we needed uh, a new lens because one tiny little grain of salt or one tiny little little grain of sand got into the focus mechanism, we would send it back and by the end of the next day, have another lens. So it was very brutal being on the the, the water and having to learn how to shoot out there and keep the camera and, and keep all the equipment fresh and dry. We also had to shoot in rain and uh, yeah. we also had to shoot on the beaches. And, uh, you know, so it, it was very hot. There were times where it was 110 degrees and, you know, severe humidity. So all of this is, is, is as you know, very terrible on your phone, much less, you know, a, uh, a camera with exposed wires and things like that. So that was a challenge. And, and that was part of the challenge of making this show. And we knew that going in. So we prepared 
prepared very hard and we hired the crews accordingly. Since this wasn't a traditional show, we knew we needed a special crew that could run around on the beaches and hop in boats and be happy with that. So it was mm-hmm. uh, it was a very interesting experience out on the water. And you just have to give credit to the crew for all coming together. It wasn't just a camera department, an audio department, an electric department. It had to be everybody as one, uh, one good solid department when we were out on the water. Yeah, yeah. It's a really phenomenal uh, piece of work to pull all that together. Did you have a particular memorable scene to shoot? Yeah, I did. You know, uh, there was a scene, I don't know if you're familiar, it was in episode four, and it's not to be a spoiler alert, but it's a moment when John B. and Sarah are coming back from this town called Chapel Hill, and they've taken the ferry there, and they've arrived back. And uh, of course, like so many scenes in that show, the moment where John B. declares his love for Sarah was originally designed, of course, to be in this beautifully backlit scenario in golden light, just like the rest of the film. <laughs> so uh, we show up to set that morning and the weather forecast is not that good. No. But the thing that made it doable was that we had a very tropical downpour storm, but the lightning was staying far away. So we had the ability to make the decision. Uh, and first, I have to say, you know, if there's any lightning within a certain distance, we have to stop and shut down and and, and, and and sit still for, I think, 30 minutes until the next lightning strike or something. So there's a lot of safety issues when it comes to working around lightning. But rain is more uh, if you're up and willing and, the you know, the cameras are willing and the actors are willing, why not go for it? So we just we asked the actors, uh, would you be willing to play this and pouring down? rain and they were, you know, young kids, of course, they thought that would be great. You know, but my concern as a cinematographer is once we start shooting this scene, which includes big wide shots, then we come in and we focus on John B and do all of his coverage and different size focal lengths of his coverage. Then we'll turn around and we'll look at uh, Madeline Klein, who plays Sarah and do all of her coverage. That's quite a lot of bit to do, you know, with background extras and things like that. So the question was, can we shoot all of this within the rain that we have because if it stops raining we're we're sunk so we shot the scene as fast as possible once again huge testament to the camera department audio department grips electrics everybody involved but the camera operators just bundled themselves up and and Bo and Matt really dug in there and uh, that scene was special because you have such a you know large emotional moment with John B declaring his love for Sarah along with a very large environmental And those environmental moments can be beautiful sunsets or they can be pouring down rain. And I, I thought it was just a, a very nice emotional moment in the pouring down rain. I mean, what could be better than that? Yeah, I assumed that that was done with like, you know, uh, effects rain. and stuff, you know, with rain effects, because it, it was so heavy. And, yeah, rain uh, tower. Yeah, no, uh, yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Didn't think you'd actually shoot that in proper rain. But that, yeah, it's and it is. It works so well as well. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. And I mean, the actors did phenomenal. You know, yeah. I, it re- that scene really comes down to the actors and the camera operators and the audio person being able to get good audio. And we did it. We got it. And it was phenomenal. But yeah, no rain towers. That was just the natural elements. Uh, We did have rain towers when we recreated the final scene of the show. And when they were, John B. and Sarah are escaping in the boat from the island at night in a hurricane. That, of course, we brought in a lot of special effects and wind fans and rain towers and things like that. Well, yeah, because you don't want to be doing that in the middle of a proper hurricane that would have been quite dangerous. well no and honestly when i first read the script i was like you know as a cinematographer you read a script and in some of the first lines it says you know a hurricane comes through and knocks out the power for basically the remainder of the whole television series and you know as a cinematographer you're like okay you know so <laughs> i mean how does that work you know how, do, how does that interpret to the wealthy and the not so wealthy? And, you know, the way I took that is the wealthier people had backup generators and they were able to kind of continue on. And on the Pogue cut side, we used a lot of lanterns and candles and things like that, you know, and just kept it natural because they wouldn't have had any generator yeah. electricity. And then I read the script again, and then they're escaping by boat at night during a hurricane. And of <laughs> course, you know, I'm, I'm like, how am I going to shoot that? And yeah. To be honest with you, I was at lunch that day and still wasn't quite sure, but (laughs) but, uh, it turned out okay. Good. 
Good. Just a last couple of questions for you. Sure. Firstly, do you know what you're doing next? I mean, I know obviously everything's shut down right now, but... Yeah, uh, currently, while we were shut down, I was on a show for Showtime called Billions with oh, yes. one of your great guys, uh, yeah. Damian Lewis, just yeah. one of the most phenomenal actors and human beings to yeah. ever be around. And uh, another actor on that show, Paul Giamatti. Yeah, uh, I love that my, series. My, right. Oh my goodness. What a phenomenal actors on that show. So that's what I, I started shooting that in October of last year after we completed the Outer Banks. And that is shot in New York City. And of course, New York City didn't fare that well uh, mm. with, with what's going on right now in the pandemic. And, you know, we were shut down like the rest of our industry. So still in a uh, industry shutdown mode and trying to figure out if I'm going to go back to Billions or back to an Outer Banks season two or, or another show. So we'll see what happens. Everything's kind of up in the air right now but i sure would miss going back and working with damian lewis i i, I hope i get to do that yeah yeah that would be great and i do hope out of gets a second season it's it's sounding like it probably will but we'll have to wait and see they've not announced anything yet right that's correct so uh, last couple of questions for you we ask these to everybody they're exactly the same for everybody so the first one is what tv shows are you watching at the moment you know that's funny because they're really not dramatic shows with actors <laughs> That's quite common. So. <laughs> okay. So, you know, honestly, one of my favorite shows is an American show on NBC called Songland, where <laughs> these uh, songwriters show up and pitch a song to an artist and then they develop the song. And I, it's the creative process that you get to see on that show is amazing. I think that's why I like it so much. And then oh, wow. I'm, a hist- I'm a history channel buff. So, you know, I, I really enjoy a show called The Mystery of Oak Island, you know, about right, the yeah. Knights, yeah, Knights Templars that have left treasure in Nova Scotia. So, you know, I tend to like the documentary side of things and right now not into a, a, a dramatic show at the moment, but those are the shows I'm into. Yeah, yeah. I, I think sometimes when people work in TV, they tend to go for things that are, are kind of, you know, if they work in drama, they go for something that isn't drama because it doesn't distract them quite as much. <laughs> like, right. I, 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 I once knew a brilliant chef who would stop at McDonald's on the way home. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, so sometimes it's not exactly the field that you work in that yeah. you actually consume. Yeah, exactly. And if you had the opportunity to work on any TV show, it can be something historical from the past, something in the present, or some sort of future genre, what would it be? Well, I think that I would love to work on an American Western. Um, nice. You know, I've, yeah, I've always enjoyed those. I've always enjoyed the challenge of the natural lighting at night and the natural lighting with lanterns. I also really, really grew up on in America. They were on our public broadcasting system, PBS, but the English shows mm. uh, that would take place in a manner on the countryside. And <laughs> they always had a cool tone and very natural lighting through the windows. So, you know, that had a great influence on me. So I've always wanted to do almost a Downton Abbey kind of situation. So both period pieces, Downton Abbey kind of feel. And then I would love to do an American Western. Well, yeah, both of those would be quite good. You don't really get that many westerns these days you know deadwood was probably the last big tv western we had right good to get some more of those in yeah you know i think there's one with uh, kevin costner right now the yellowstone maybe i oh, haven't yeah. seen it yeah that that's western-ish i guess so All right i haven't i haven't seen that but i heard that's pretty good yeah yeah awesome well i'll let you go thank you for spending some time to uh, talk through the show i love the show it's great i hope you get a second season hopefully we'll talk to you again at some point thank you you're a pleasure to talk to and thank you so much and let's keep in touch you know i work on lots of other things and maybe we can talk about damien lewis one day who knows yeah that'd be awesome i love that <laughs> All show, right. so. yeah yeah All take right. care talk to you soon cheers bye all right thank you cheers Bye-bye. bye bye So that was the interview with Brad Smith. The second interview we have features production designer Daniel Novotty. Daniel is something of a legacy production designer because his father, Michael Novotty, was also a hugely successful production designer. Prior to working on The Outer Banks, Daniel was production designer on Gotham. He worked on Dominion. He also worked on the monolithic procedural drama CSI for many, many, many episodes. For Outer Banks, Daniel talks about the challenges 
ways of making Charleston in South Carolina look like North Carolina, which are quite different, along with his favourite sets to create and his rather surprising answer to which was actually the most challenging set to work with. If you'd like to hear more behind the scenes interviews, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We're on all the different services. Just search for Geek Town Radio. This also gives you the weekly Geek Town Radio podcast, which brings you all the latest TV, film and gaming news. You can also go to the website at geektown.co.uk for daily news stories and all the latest UK and US TV premiere dates. Here's the interview with Daniel. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, David. How are you doing? How are you doing, man? <laughs> I'm good. How are you? Wow, this is awesome, man. Whereabouts are you? I'm in Los Angeles. Right. Sunny California. <laughs> Weather's been pretty great down here. So, uh, yeah, I'm kind of, you know, digging it and waiting to hear about season two and yeah. where the next year will take me. Yeah, yeah, because they haven't announced yet, but it, it's seemingly likely that it's going to get a second season. Certainly from the reaction it's been getting, that, that seems to be the rumors swirling around. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I would, I mean, it, it's getting picked up. We know that. It, it, they, we know it's going to get, it's just a matter of when. And the only reason it isn't is because of the COVID thing. Yes, of course, because everything's shut so, down right now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, and so so the issue with us is it's a summertime show and they want to shoot it in the summer and, you know, you got sexy young adults and they look better in the, you know, the sweaty summer. So yeah. the longer they wait, the longer they go into wintertime. But um, if that wasn't the case, I'm sure if, if COVID was not happening, they would have picked this up, you know, uh, on May 15th. Yeah, this pandemic thing needs to go away. <laughs> it needs to go away. We got to, yeah, we got to wrap it up. Come on, guys. I know. It's such a pain. Uh, oh, it's amazing, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. So well, hopefully, hopefully we'll, hopefully everything will be safe soon and we can all get back to it. You know, um, I don't know what else we can do until then, you know? Yeah. Uh, you know, we can we can complain, I guess, but you know, that, that, that's, not, <laughs> yeah. that's not going to do any good. So yeah, well, it's nice to be able to have you on to chat about the show anyway, because uh, I've been enjoying it very much. The first season is, of course, all up on Netflix right now, so I've been working my way through that. But it's been a really good, fun show to watch. Uh, what I usually do is start out by asking you how you got into the industry, but it's something of a family business for you, isn't it? So kind of is, yeah. I mean. You know, I, for me, yeah, I mean, I mean, look, you know, my dad was a, my dad started, he was actually a, a theater person. He came from, he came from um, Cornwall. He, he's from Long Island, New York. And in the sixties, he was unhappy with the climate of the United States at that time. So mm. he was looking for a little piece of his own. And so he uh, found a theater company in Cornwall, England. And, <laughs> really? and, you know, right. I mean, you know, they're big into, they're big into theater over there. Right. Yeah, you know, of so he, right. So that was, he found that and he enjoyed that so he actually they started working in theater in that part of the world and then he, they ended up just traveling for 15 years in this traveling theater company <laughs> which I was born into a bit of a traveling gypsy story there yeah. it's a whole other story and then you know he ended up finally settling down in Los Angeles 15 years later and uh, got into the film business then I kind of, you know, I guess when I was in high school, I looked, you know, we all need a job at some point. Right. So yeah. he said, well, you know, here, here's a job. And I was, I was good at it, making great money. And so, Hey, you know, you're a kid, you're like, oh, let's do this. Right. Why not? You know? And that is how I got into it. Yeah, for sure. My dad definitely opened up that door and, uh, I used to work with him. I haven't worked with him in, I mean, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 years. So it's been, a, wow. it's been a while. Um, he's retired now. So yeah, that, yeah. that's how I started, but I came from model making and visual effects 
model making and drafting and that was really how i how i started that's a great place to start as well the the kind of old school model making stuff is is fabulous you don't get it as much now computers have taken over with that sort of thing yeah yeah you don't get it so much it's always nice to know about it you know you kind of there's not that many people on the show that have worked with models often you know it's definitely an older yeah. craft you know so uh it's a little little badge of honor i guess you know <laughs> right having d- done some mini- miniature explosions things like that right it's always nice. a good time cool so how'd you get involved with the outer banks jonas pate is the uh one of the creators there's three guys that sh- created the show it's jonas pate his brother josh pate and shannon burke i did a show with jonas pate in vancouver about two years ago and we lit we were there for six months and uh got really close became friends and kind of kept in touch you know and he lived in los angeles and he relocated to north carolina and then i was in uh, new york doing gotham yeah which i was ready to get out of the city i mean i love new york but you know i'm from california right so after you're in new york city for eight months you're just ready to go and i remember i was sitting in my little office in Brooklyn. I, you know, we actually had pretty good stages and then had a view of the city. And it was one of those times, you know, production, you're really busy all the time, right? For this particular, I was just sitting there, I had nothing to do at that very moment. And the phone rang, I said, Jonas paid, I answered. He said, hey, I got a show going to North Carolina. It's about kids in the beaches and beaches and more beaches and fun. And I yeah. looked out the window at the city and it was raining that day. And like, I was like, <laughs> I, I, and I said, okay. And so I, I remember Google searching it, like Googling, you know, image searching um, the beaches and the, the housing accommodations because <laughs> right. i was i was fed up with my my 400 square foot apartment in brooklyn you know and yeah. um i said oh, i'm in i'm in 100 i'm in and so that was the first phone call and from there i think he sent me a script and then then it actually it actually happened right so often the often you get those phone calls and often they don't happen right yeah, you, know, yeah, yeah. you know very more often than not you get a phone call and somebody says yeah i got a project and then it just kind of disappears and nothing happens but this really happened we went went through it and then from there, I just kind of tracked it. And, and, uh, you know, the next thing I knew that was in like probably September or fall of 2018. Then we went and scouted, uh, Charleston with, with, uh, for like an early pre-scout in January. That was with, with the Netflix executives and Jonas and one of our writers just to see what was going on. Yeah. Cause that's one of the things with the show is it's set in North Carolina, but you actually shot it all in South Carolina. So, yeah. um, I, I don't really know Carolina particularly well at all. So there are huge differences that you were having to cover up from the production side. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I mean, you know, like you know, along the Carolina coast, right? You know, it's a, it, you know, so much of the terrain is similar, you know, um, yeah. but our show in particular takes place on the Outer Banks, which are these, you know, a str- uh, you know, a long stretch of islands that are, you know, out off the coast. Yeah. So they're, they're windswept. There's there's a lot of beaches, and it's really an island environment. Um, the structures there, you know. They haven't been there for hundreds of years, right? You know, they're this is in England, right? You know, yeah. you know, and anything too small has been washed away in some storms. So, but it's definitely got a vibe, and it's got that beautiful windswept appeal to it. Um, but then in Charleston, you go to Charleston, and, and it's a colonial town, right? I mean, they've been there since the, the 1600s, and that's a lot. All of the the features of Charleston that we that people go to Charleston to see, we had to hide that. We didn't want, we couldn't see any of that, right? We right, yeah, any, yeah. We, you know, we weren't trying, we couldn't see any of the cobblestone streets or that infrastructure that Charleston has had for, you know, the past 300, 400 years. So it was a challenge to go to a city and really f- find places that felt like the Outer Banks because we really wanted to keep that that island vibe and we weren't willing to compromise on that it was you know this part of the story you have to be in this in this isolated environment you have to be secluded on this island otherwise uh, there's a lot of the parts parts of the story that won't make sense yeah yeah of course i mean one of the big things that happens very early on in the show is this big hurricane storm thing that wreaks havoc across the island what did you have to do to set that up and sort of 
creating the aftermath of of that that was tricky it was, it was it's one of those things it's it's harder to implement and act activate those that challenge than it than it really is to to talk about it right you know because it sounds like well you get a bunch of debris but yeah. if you, you know, once you're in a city and you're shooting somewhere and you well you got to put a pile of debris here you got to put something here you got to get a boat and flip it upside down and block a street for for a couple of days mm. it becomes a bit of a you know a bit of a, a problem you know you really have to plan these things out so it was a lot of work it was a lot of work and it's almost like that's the type of work that's almost like thankless work in a way because you don't look at it and think about the amount of trucks involved and people involved that take to you know yeah. produce that that amount of debris um so actually i've really a few people have noticed it i really i'm really appreciate that a lot actually thanks thanks for asking that question yeah you're welcome i mean because i i sort of looked at it there's a lot of work got into that to, to sort of deal with making it look that messy in places you know oh yeah yeah it really was yeah for sure and you've also got this this difference between the the sort of two classes that you have in the island as well yeah. do you want to just talk a little bit about the differences there and what you were doing for each side yeah that was actually that was one of the most fun things to find right because you've got a place like charleston if you take out all of humanity it's beautiful it's a gorgeous beautiful environment right you've got beautiful oak trees you've got spanish moss you've got marsh you've got beaches you've got rivers and estuaries so naturally it's gorgeous and you've got the old poor beauty you know the beauty that's in the poverty there meaning it's the the shrimp boats and old shacks on the beach and you've got that windswept weathered look of people who do not have money but they're living in a beautiful location right and it's something that photographers have been capturing for many many years in that part of the world right shrimp boats and you know so you've got that gorgeous vibe and then you've got the money vibe the wealth beauty which is totally different you know they 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 access the marshes differently they have big docks they have big boats so it's really about finding those two worlds and um you know we, we all have we all have an idea of what it really should be and then we have to settle on what we can actually find yeah right um so that was really really a, an exciting challenge was to carve out those two worlds so that when you're driving down the street in the poor neighborhood you feel like you're in the poor neighborhood and and, and they're very very poor down there i mean you know it's the class structures is very very great the, the division is very 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 wide so um and then driving down their wealthy neighborhoods and it's totally different manicured lawns beautiful cars beautiful fences walls you know the houses are beautiful so um that was exciting that was a really fun challenge to to carve out those two worlds so in terms of what you're doing is a lot of it like finding locations and dressing stuff or were you building a lot of stuff from scratch what's the sort of balance for you that show was a bit unique in that we really wanted it to feel natural and that doesn't happen easily it doesn't mean that it's less work, but it does mean that we would often find most of the time we found locations and then dressed them. That was that was the majority of the time. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we, we, we built a few sets. We built the police department. We built uh, the well and where they found the gold and the basement and some difficult pieces like that and a portion of the lighthouse. But a lot of it was finding the right location and then modifying it to to tailor it right into our to 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 fine tune it to fit to tell our story yeah yeah that lighthouse i mean you say you built a portion of it was that a genuine lighthouse somewhere because the stairs going up that thing looked terrifying yeah yeah i know that was it was a real lighthouse we it was far away you know we that's the kind of thing that it was about you know that was one of the balances right so we found this you know we had this location it was a you know a, a long ways away far away that we we had to spend the night there. So, so, you know, do we either build it and, or, you know, there's a few different options that come around, but in the end, it just made more sense to go there because they also had that location where the lighthouse was also had a beach that was accessible. It was the, it was the beach. Right. If there was a beaches with trees and there were logs tipped on their sides, it was that, it was that beach. Right. And, um, so we just went there and just said, let's just stay there for a week and shoot everything we can at the, at, at that location. The, the biggest issue with the beaches there were that they had the sea turtles nesting. So the sea turtles, oh, no. yeah. yeah, once the sea turtles get involved, it, it just shuts down. There's no, you can't, you can't even go on the, beach it just locks everything up so especially for nights you're not allowed to shoot on the beaches with lights which obviously makes you know because the sea turtles when they hatch 
they they go towards a light which is which is the sun rising you right. know right yeah 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 so you if you if you have a lighting equipment it messes up where they're going and then, yeah, you know, yeah yeah so wow <laughs> what was the most memorable thing to set up on the shoot for you i would say the most memorable portion of that shoot was john b's house right yeah that that, and I wouldn't say it was the, that wasn't the hardest by any means, um, but it was just the most iconic. I think that, you know, and actually it was one of the first places we scouted. It was it was sometimes the first things you find are the best. And uh, <laughs> we scouted that place before production started in January. And uh, we looked at it, loved it, said, this is perfect. Let's keep looking. And we kept looking, couldn't find anything better. So we stuck it there. But that house is just fantastic. It's a beautiful property. It's out on a peninsula and it's a it's a kind of small little summer cottage shack thing you know it's been around since probably the 40s or 50s right and uh, it's been in a family for probably that amount of time and it's been in the same family for that that entire time wow and it's just an epic little property it's epic yeah and with that place it's like full i seem to remember of of just bits and pieces and sort of knickknacks and just it seems to be full of stuff and of course you've got the the it's kind of the place the kids hang out as well so it's kind of messy and that's i mean that must have been just a huge amount of work to dress that yeah yeah for sure i mean when we got there so it was in a family a family had owned it for like 50 years right so it was it was decorated like a family summer home right, right? so basically we just emptied it out just everything comes out i mean that's what we have we have a crew of people they go in they empty the whole thing it's emptied in you know uh, one day right a whole day the place is empty and then the next day everything else comes in and then then it takes another days and days to create that layering effect because it's a layering that really takes time to make it feel like somebody has lived there and to tell that story it really mm. takes a lot of time yeah because it was his home with his father and then the father's disappeared so you've then got to add the extra layer of him living on his own for so long and then all his friends coming over and there's just stuff everywhere and yeah absolutely yeah yeah that's and that's doesn't yeah and if and, and you got to tell that story and so that that's exactly yeah you nailed it man exactly that it's a really interesting kind of quite intricate set that it's uh, I, I do like that place. What was the trickiest thing to shoot for you? The trickiest thing, technically, the technical challenges of shooting inside of the Cameron home were the most tricky to do. <laughs> right. So the Cameron home, that was that... Uh, do you remember that was the big white house? It was a massive estate. Yeah. There were massive trees. And again, we came down to Charleston. We found that location. It's called, it's called Lowndes Grove and it's a, a historical landmark. It is um, a beautiful place with probably very, very dark past, I'm sure. And, um, but it is a, uh, visually gorgeous and it had to feel like it, it this location had to have a historical significance because it played into the story that it couldn't be a new house it had to be an old house on an old property yeah so that you would tell the story that the gold was buried somewhere on this in the plot of land that used to be belong to this house yeah. right so you know in charleston you know you can find plenty of houses but they don't look old they don't feel old and so it had to feel old and then the other thing with old is you have to have the trees. You got to have old trees, mature trees sell decades and decades or sell, sell centuries of existence. Right. Yeah. So we had this location. It was perfect on all those reasons. The only challenge was that it's the biggest wedding venue in, you know, in Charleston. <laughs> right? right. So we're like, okay, so we can shoot outside pretty easily. That's okay. We can, we can go on the trees, but if we went into the house, we had to deal with the availability of it. And then if we're going to shoot there for two days, we need at least two days to prep it and then, you know, a day and a half to strike it. So, so you're dealing with like almost like a, a week every time you want to be there. And to finding that available time was, was a little bit tricky. Um, we wanted to build it and we would have built it the entire thing on a soundstage, but we just didn't have enough page count, didn't have enough to justify it. So right. yeah, at a certain point, you know, you know, production hindsight is always 2020 every, every single yeah. time. Right. But, but you know, we don't, we don't know. We just go, you just go, you make the best decision you can at the time and, and you, you got to move forward with something. So in that particular issue, the issue was locking in this location. Every time we went there, we had to empty the house of all of the, uh, the furniture that belonged to the location as a, as a wedding venue. Yeah. Right. And then 
you know, the place was painted in these ridiculous colors like pink and yellow and baby blue, which were historically accurate in the, you know, 1700s, people painted their rooms these bright colors. Yeah. So they kept, they wouldn't let us paint the rooms. And so we were kind of stuck with the colors and then making the office was, you know, these old homes have small stairways and small doors. They're not I mean, in England, you know, right? I mean, yeah, you've got yeah, beautiful, yeah. right? I mean, you've got the most beautiful homes in England, but the doorways are so small, right? Yeah. Tiny little headers and windows and small. So it's like that. And then you're trying to bring in all this massive furniture. <laughs> and next thing you know, you've got like a giant crane in front of the house, deli- lifting it up onto the balconies and carrying <laughs> to the windows. And, you know, all the time you're trying not da- not to damage the grass because the next day at eight o'clock in the morning, you know, bride's going to show up you know, for a real <laughs> wedding. So, right, yeah, yeah. you know, so that was, that was the most difficult location, I would say. You well, know? that, that was not what I was expecting. Cause I I mean, there's obviously a, there's a lot of stuff that's you know shot out on boats and things like that. I I was rather thinking that that would probably be the trickier stuff, but I wasn't expecting the house to be the thing. You know what? I'm, well, I mean, I mean, you, you just that's just for me. That's that was a memorable challenge. The work on the boats, I would say, would definitely be more difficult and more challenging for sure. Yeah. You know, for the, for my department in particular, when you're out in the water, it wasn't there wasn't as much to do. Oh, of course, right? yeah, but, I guess for you, you know, for you particular, yeah. Yeah, but I think for the show, I would definitely say the water was by far the most challenging water in general, above water, underwater, diving into water. It's always more challenging. Um, I would say the most challenging sets were probably in the finale, the storm scenes, right? Being out in the water and making the water turbulent and the yeah. boats and all that, because that was really, you know, we, I think we, in the end we found like a little, a little dock that was kind of secluded and we had to like kind of cone it off. And then you've got a boat in the middle of the water you've got surrounded by green screens or blue screens or blacks and then you've got jet skis out in the water doing donuts trying to simulate some turf <laughs> right, right yeah you know in the water choppy yes that was definitely the most i would say the water was the most challenging for the show for sure yeah it's just really interesting to see how that sort of stuff is done because you'd expect a lot of the water stuff to be done in tanks and studios and things but of course i guess carolina doesn't really have those facilities like they do in somewhere like la so. Yeah, yeah, no, they don't. They definitely do not have that. No, they're not. Um, it's not the same infrastructure yeah. as Hollywood or, or New York, for sure. Yeah. So last few questions for you. I'm looking forward to the show coming back. Yeah, at the moment, I guess you don't know what you're going to be doing next other than hopefully the second season of this. Second season of this, hopefully, uh, you know, it sounds like they're going to be going to the Bahamas. So that, that should be exciting. Ooh, nice. Right. That's always a good time. And they believe they hinted that at the end of the season where that's yeah. where the gold goes. Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, that, that'll be good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like that. So um, last couple of questions for you, and they're always TV related. They're the same for everybody. First question is what TV shows are you watching at the moment? You know, I have not been watching a lot of television. I got I got to be honest. Right. Um, <laughs> I've been watching more documentaries recently. Okay. So I got into some more documentary, documentary work, but no, I haven't watched a lot of TV. My, you know, my wife watches TV, but we watch different, different shows. She's got a different, I like a little more drama. I like the Ozarks, you know, that's like going back in time, watching Better Call Saul. Yeah. I like some of the older shows, you know, especially with, I can catch all my older shows now with all of these amazing new content out there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much stuff out there these days. It's crazy about the things. And if you had the opportunity to work on any TV show, can be something historical from the past, something in the present or some sort of future genre, not something you've worked on, which show would it be? I'm really a fan of a uh, sort of middle budget like spike jones kind of movies right like her was that that her right like that kind of genre right where you're in that that kind of grounded sci-fi not totally out of out of this world you know um but i really like storytelling and so for me i like designing it's great but i really like designing to tell a particular story and and i I like those types of stories that my those are my my favorite stories you know i love fantasy but sometimes it just gets a little bit much for me mentally and so i really enjoy um designing those types of shows more grounded 
grounded react, grounded sci-fi, uh, middle of the road, you know, yeah. believable stories. Awesome. That'd be cool. I'm sure there'll be a lot more of, I mean, there's so many places putting shows out these days. I'm sure one of those will come up at some point for you. Yeah. I mean, Outer Banks is in that genre for sure. Yeah. You know, Outer Banks, it definitely fits that, fits that mold. It was a fantastic show to be a part of, you know, looking forward to season two as now it's a hit. It's doing so well. I believe we'll have a lot more leverage and be able to, we'll have a lot more power where we can go next season. Yeah. Plus the Bahamas, you know, so (laughs) yeah, we got the Bahamas. Exactly. That'll be awesome. Good luck with the uh, second season. I hope it all goes brilliantly (laughs) when you eventually can get round to shooting it again. I hope we can do a season two chat then. Yeah. That would be lovely. If you come back on when uh, season two comes out, that would be awesome. Yes. I will let you go and get on with your day. Thank you for spending a little bit of time to talk to me. It's been really lovely. Oh man. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time and interest. I'm, I'm, I'm flattered. Thank you so much. Let's, uh, Hopefully we can talk again. Thanks, David. Yeah, thank you. Talk to you soon. Cheers. All right, man. Okay, bye. Bye. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. 